Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. Did we live by the truth? Did we believe the truth? Did we accept the truth? What was our attitude toward the truth? Or did we exchange the truth for a lie? Or did we hold the truth in unrighteousness? We choose to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? So, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. You must know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Welcome, everybody. Wow, that was an intro, bro. Can we steal that intro? That was like the best intro I think Legs has ever had. We're going to use that intro. But welcome, everybody. We have this, we're in a special edition of the Legs in War Room. We have a special guest, but he's a friend of ours. So it's like kind of like hanging out with a friend, but also going to interview a friend. And he's our favorite candidate running for governor, Anthony Tremino, my favorite candidate. And bro, you're looking sharp, like <laughs> always, brother, looking slick, man. But thank you for joining us. I know you're a busy man. So thank you for taking time out to hear, hear our, uh, hear some of the questions that the Latino community uh, wants to hear and that, that need to hear, bro. So we appreciate you coming on and uh, thanks again. Yeah. I, I will always make myself available to you guys. Jesse was one of the very, actually Carmen and Jesse together were amongst the very first to come aboard, to meet me, to hear my heart, hear my vision, and to just stand up and say, like, we're behind you and we support you. And you guys have not wavered and I appreciate and value you and what you're doing um, both collectively for the Latino community, but also everything that you've done to walk alongside my family and I and support. Um, it's been a battle. You guys have known it. You've been there since day one. So I promise to, to always show my support and be available. And when I get into office, we'll be doing this in the Capitol, live, in person. Just wait. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Amen, brother. It's just like a blessing because even away from all this politics, whatever, we like me and Carmen, we we consider you friends, our friend. You know what I mean? And it should speak a lot because anybody that knows Lex and knows me knows that we won't back or support any rhinos and all that. And like you said, we've been supporting you since the, we were like since the beginning. We were down with you and supporting you, brother. So it's just a pleasure having you on. I love that video, bro, like A-Rod said. Just loved yeah. it. The class. You even had Billy Graham right there. Wow, bro. That was powerful. That's a great video. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Mo you know, a, a lot of people don't hear or know that it's Billy Graham. And 
he's he's probably one of the most important parts of it. So right. so happy to honor him in that way, and and thank you for sharing that video. It's uh, it's pretty cool, pretty inspiring, and you know I hope everyone enjoyed it. It's just a little kind of glimpse at what we're dealing with, right, in California, and and the significance and importance of this time and what we're doing and why everybody who who's watching now and will watch this later needs to get involved and needs to be part of this. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, I wanted to start it off is I just wanted to say that I appreciate that because uh, I was just with you even last week at, at a rally. We're out there fighting, pushing against um, these mandates and all of that. And, and I've known you've been around. That's what I said that, like since the election, you see who's the real because all those other mostly I'm not going to call out everybody, but all, most of all those candidates, they were running against you. Where are they all at? Since they lost the election, they're all MIA. You don't see nothing that it was just also like, what? Why aren't you in the fight still? Like, that's what I respect even more about you is even since you lost and all that, you were like still in the fight 100 percent, still showed where your heart's at. So to me, that's just really great, brother. And I appreciate that, that you've been in this fight even ever since, even since after you lost the last election. Yeah, I told, I told you guys and I told my family when we started this, we're going to finish it. And I think you guys remember, I never got into this race for the recall. We got into this race for the general 2022. The recall got certified. We got in it, obviously. Um, but we never stopped. So even after September 14th, I continued to show up at at rallies, at school boards, I was on street corners, I was in coffee shops with with moms and parents. And I during that time, in between um, the recall, and when we officially relaunched phase two, which was January third, I started we are still heroes to support our firefighters, police, military teachers, nurses that were being discriminated against and fired. So I never stopped. And I was actually surprised to see so many people that were in the race just disappear. And I'm not here to criticize. That's not even what I want to do. But I will say that many of them that were in the race, many of them that somewhat disappeared, they've, they've been quoted as saying that the recall taught them something, that California is in significant crisis, that it really needs help, that it is worse off than they thought. To which then I replied, then where are you? Why, why did you not continue the fight? If, if California is still in jeopardy, it's still in danger, it's still in need, I'm surprised that I'm not sitting in a group of 46 again. And mm. that, that landscape has shrunk. And so as a candidate, I'm super excited because I feel like God cleared the pathway. Got a lot of people out of the way, a lot of distractions, which is great for us as a campaign. But as a Californian, I'm thinking... These are some people with some big name, big, big platforms and a lot of resources. They technically should still be in the fight because California is still un, in a crisis. So, yeah, we never stopped. We kept going. Matter of fact, as I'm sitting here with you guys today, we've done now like 12 cities in seven days across mm. the state. And uh, we're going seven days a week. I'm working 20 hours a day. Like we haven't slowed down at all. So, and you're right. I'm I'm speaking in front of groups of you know thousands, down to having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people in coffee shops, and because I think it's important. I think everybody's important, and we could take the convenient route of just going the establishment route. But honestly, some of my best conversations have been at churches, at school boards, 
at parks, meeting real people with real problems where they come up and they're in tears and they're talking about how scared they are for their children, their businesses, their communities. They want to leave. And I think our campaign is giving a lot of people hope at least to stay fighting until November when they're going to recalibrate and reassess things. But hopefully we win in November and people can stay and feel like we'll get back on track. Yeah, that's so cool and humble that you don't want to criticize people, but you know I do. We do at Lake City. <laughs> I feel I feel the GOP has a lot to do with that too because they dropped the ball. They should have been helping out way more. And plus, I've seen a lot of some of your other people that you were running against. To me, a lot of them I seen like they just took the money and ran. But uh, you guys all, should let, I'll leave it to your imagination to, to know who you guys think that is that I'm talking about. But that's what I. My, I feel because, like you said, a lot of them are straight missing in action now that the election's over. But uh, go ahead, A. Rock. Yeah, well, that actually segues into to my question. So, we've experienced this. Um, we've experienced this myself, or I've experienced this myself. Plug my phone in, real quick. With Lexit, where the GOP kind of has left us hanging, and Carmen uh, have conversations with Carmen as well, where it feels like Latinos, we need a bigger voice. And of course, it's kind of hard for us because we're grassroots, right? And that's kind of how you started as well. We've seen your movement grow. And the GOP's platform being so huge, and a lot of times grassroots candidates like yourself that start to get known, it seems like if you don't play ball, you don't get a seat at the big table, right? That's just normally the way it works. In, in your situation where you kind of just kind of canvassed up California, and I'm sure you caught the eye of the GOP, how have they taken to you? Have, have they been accepting? And I know, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you're able to answer this or not, and hopefully you can answer it honestly. Have they been accepting or have they just kind of been like, we're going to ignore him, hopefully he'll go away, or, or do they see that you're not going nowhere? Because hopefully they don't, you know what I mean? Hopefully they get it, you know? It's that second part. So I don't think the GOP knows what to do with me because I don't fit the Good. traditional mold. And so what's, what's happening is I think during the recall, it was somewhat easy to ignore me because it was a crowded field and there, was a, there were a lot of distractions. But coming out of the recall, they, they can't ignore me anymore. And they haven't ignored me. In fact, I've sat down with leadership of the GOP and I've told them, and I'll tell you straight out, I told them straight out, just like this. I said, the California GOP is on life support. It's dying. And in some cases, many have said it's already dead. It needs to be res resurrected. It needs to rebrand. It be rebranded. It needs to look different, sound different, and have an entirely different story to be relevant again. And I sat there and I told them, I said, our campaign gives you a very unique opportunity to rebrand yourself, to get back to what you started to do, to better reflect the diversity that exists within California. I said, getting behind my campaign will show people of multiple generations that it's not about establishment or, pol or party politics, that it's about serving the will of the people and getting behind candidates that best reflect the diversity that exists within California, not just ethnically, but even in background. I'm not, I'm not a politician, so 
And, I, and I've told them this too. I said, you're, you're trying to unseat arguably the most powerful political dynasty of our time. You guys have done it the same way year after year after year. How's that worked out for you? It hasn't. So mm. we live in unprecedented times. And that old notion of to, to get to places you've never been, you got to start doing things you've never done. I'm like, you need to understand what I'm doing, that I'm not going away that we're building momentum and that you have a small window of time to actually align with what we're doing and start, you know, appealing to a broader audience, a younger audience, a more diverse audience and show them that you're not just about uh, party lines, that you're not just about the establishment itself. And my campaign will give you a chance to do that. So we've had great dialogue with them. We've had conversation with them. I'm confident that I'll get pushed forth to convention where I'll make my case. And if I believe that if, if they're smart, if they want what's best for California, and if they want the best chance to unseat Newsom, that they'll get behind me, they'll endorse me, and they'll put their full weight and power behind me. Now, having said that, we started off running the non-traditional campaign. We're going to finish that way. So we want their support. But if we don't get it, we're going to continue to move forward. We're going to continue to build momentum. And we'll, we'll continue to, you know, go for the goal of, of unseating Newsom. Hopefully we get their support. Hopefully we can inspire a whole nother subset of people to have faith in the party again. We'll see what happens. You know, all of that's going to unfold over the next 30 days. But um, I'm optimistic that the conversations we've had with them open their eyes to what we're doing. And I think that... I know I'm on the radar. I know they know that I'm not going away. And I think they're just trying to figure out what the heck to do with this guy right. because he's not going away and he's building a lot of momentum. Right. I think you're spot on. And, and, and to be honest, I don't think they really understand it. And, and break it down before Carmen asks her question real quick. They woke up a sleeping giant. Okay. And I'm talking about mm -hmm. the voters. And if they even want a future, because what Trump did was he changed the game of politics. No longer are people just going to be sit back and just allow somebody to go in office and then it's your term and then on to the next. Everybody feels like they play a part now and we'll call them out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, especially, and we're going to talk about California, of course, I feel like here in California, the California GOP, I don't think nobody's on the chopping block from the top all the way down. And you've got so many people involved. I could literally see everybody being like, yeah, I'm out. I'm, I mean, I'm just talking about thousands of them. So I feel like if they don't get with the program, they're not going to really have much to go on soon. I really feel that. What, what's, and I feel, hey, Rod, what's the alternative, what? right? What's the alternative? They, they get behind, you know, another traditional establishment, lifelong politician candidate that's right. going to fail against Newsom, that's not going to win, that's not going to build momentum. And then I'm, I'm, I have a campaign that's representing the people, a very diverse group of people, especially the, the people that you say have woken up, moms, dads, business owners, the church, the, the, the minority communities. If their alternative route is to ignore what we're doing, to fight against what we're doing, to fail at unseating Newsom, and where does that leave the party after that? More and more people are leaving the parties the right and the left, and they're going to a middle, and the middle is expanding in California. People are getting 
tired of politics. They're getting tired of, of party lines. Right now, the most pressing issue in California is quality of life. And everybody right. can unite on that issue. I don't care if you're liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. It does not matter. Your quality of life is not what you want it to be. And you're suffering. Your kids are suffering. Your job's suffering. Your pocketbook is suffering. And what's super exciting for us is that it, it was going to take perfect conditions, a perfect storm for us to take the Capitol, right? For us to unseat Newsom, for us to win. Well, there is a perfect storm because there's nobody in California that hasn't been affected in one way or another by Newsom's overreach. Everybody on both sides are saying enough is enough. We can all agree that he's not what's best for California. So if the GOP was smart, they would get behind a thing that does not look at all like the thing that exists in Sacramento right now, which means you don't get behind a traditional candidate. You don't get behind a lifelong politician. You don't get behind someone that right. doesn't reflect the diversity in California. In fact, it means you get behind what we're doing because it's so radically different. Not, not in its ideology, but in its approach. We're radically changing the script on what it looks like to you know, represent the people. And so I think, again, I'm hopeful that they have taken note of what we're doing and decide to get behind us. We'll find out soon enough. Well, I think they have, and we're not going to stop shoving it in their face till they recognize it. So go ahead, sis. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Hey, uh, good, Carmen. Good. You know, the number one issue for Latino voters is tends to be immigration. And I know that that's, that's our biggest hurdle. Um, they, they tend to be one issue voters. They don't tend to care about anything else or even really know about the other issues or how Democrats are on the other issues. All they know or all they're told is that if you vote Democrat, we won't deport you and we'll take care of you, right? So this is a one issue voting situation for the Latino vote. I know that the governor doesn't have a whole lot, um, you know, not not too much to do with immigration and the border because that's more of a federal situation. But you as a Latino and you running in a state that has 39% Latino voters, what can you say to the Latino voters to make them feel comfortable voting for a conservative when they've been told this lie for so long? What do you say to those people? Sure. Um... My grandfather, when he came to this country legally, he wanted to live a life depend, independent from the government, where the government doesn't control you. And what the government has done, especially in the minority community, and especially within the Latino community, is they're controlling you. And they control you by making you utterly dependent on government. So stimulus checks and, and a lot of these incentives, incentives even to get vaccinated incentives, they're, they're targeting the Latino community, making them completely dependent on the government so that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. But at the end of the day, when you have, in, when you have real meaningful conversations with Latinos, they find out that they're a lot more conservative than they originally thought. That conservative values are what is important to them. And there's one party that is consistently voting with conservative values, which is the Republican Party. They don't know that we have an education barrier to overcome. And what I would say to you guys to, and what I say to Latinos all over is, number one, you guys have power. That if you guys were to get involved in civics, understand your role in civics, 
you would seat every governor in California. In fact, across the nation, we would probably seat every president as well. You cannot run from it, hide from it. You need to educate yourself and get involved. I would also say that the whole immigration conversation is not beneficial to Latinos specifically. Um, it disproportionately impacts them. We need strong border laws. We need a strong border because it puts unnecessary tax implications on the middle class and even on the lower class. We need to protect our border. I, I believe that California should be a, a welcoming state. Should it be a sanctuary state and a place where it's the, it's the epicenter of illegal immigration, the epicenter of abortions? Absolutely not. That doesn't serve our conservative values. It doesn't benefit Latinos at all. And so I think what the Republican Party has failed to do is put the right message in the right messenger. And I think my story of having family that immigrated to the United States did so legally, who have been contributing members who pay taxes and who understand what it means to have that unnecessary tax burden placed on us because of the illegal immigration issues. I think once we educate Latinos and, and equip them, and by the way, that's, that's how the government controls minorities is by denying them education, denying them truth, denying them information so they can be free thinkers. And so we need to teach our Latino community how to be, how to strive to be independent from the government, free thinking from the government, smaller government, not more government. And that's what we do when we go into inner cities and have these conversations. We educate them on what it means to be a conservative, how to vote, and why it's important to get involved in civics. So Amen we to have that. a word that out for us, but that's definitely something that we all need to, including Lexit and everybody who supports you guys needs to go out and do, educate our, uh, our demographics. Amen. Exactly. And, and it's funny because the, we, we brought up the GOP earlier and you would think that, first of all, the head of the California GOP is Latina, but the GOP, you would think that they would be trying to capture that Latina market. That's basically untapped market, 39% voters. And they, you would think that they would want to use somebody like you, because I always say like, if, if you're going to run in California, you should probably be Latino, you know, anywhere in California. If you want to win as a conservative in California or as an independent, even it, be Latino. I mean, that's it, it just seems like a no brainer because then you can connect with a giant portion of your voter base that's really untapped. And it's almost as if the GOP doesn't even want to win. You know, <laughs> I, say, I say this all the time because people have heard me talk about my culture and they say, so are you saying that, you know, being Latino qualifies you for governor? And my answer is no. My qualifications qualify me to be governor. But wouldn't it be nice for the party to get behind somebody who best reflects the diversity that exists here? Wouldn't it be nice to elect the first Latino governor in California history? In 1875, we had a Latino governor, but he wasn't even elected. He was elected lieutenant governor. The governor went to Senate, then he assumed that role. So in California's history, we have never elected a Latino governor. Now I'm not saying that because I'm Latino that qualifies me for the role, but it sure does show you know, for the party to say, hey, we understand the diversity that exists. We understand um, how we need to better represent 
the will of the people, the people, the story of the people. And this guy is more than qualified for the role and happens to be what could ultimately be an inspiration to show, hey, you know what? We're not biased. We, we, you know, we support not only the best candidate, but the candidate that we think could actually inspire the generation behind him or her to come up to believe in big things again. And I've often said this, especially in, in Hispanic homes, Latino homes, growing up, you know, the conversation around the dinner table isn't about, hey, when you become president one day, or when you own that company one day, or when you, you know, invent the next, you know, Tesla. It's really about getting a good paying job that has benefits so that you can retire. That's what we're teaching mm -hmm. our kids. And we need more role models and mentors to show our children and their children, no, 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 no. You can be anything that you want to be. There's not a job, a role, a company that you can't assume, invent, create, be part of. You have every, every opportunity available to you. We need to have those conversations at home. We need to tell our kids, our girls, our boys, you can be anything that you choose to be. And by the way, we need more examples of people actually doing those things. So a Latino governor, Latino president, more people in Hollywood, more people in corporate America. And so I'm hoping that going in, I can, I can be one of those examples to the generations to follow to say, hey, this guy from Downey didn't go to college. This, this Mexican Cuban guy born in Torrance, California, if he can be governor of the biggest state in the nation, then what can I do? What can I achieve? I'm going to use him as the low point in the bar and I'm going to shoot even higher. That's what we need. That's what I'm trying to do. I love that. Thanks for saying that. Um, I, you took a lot of those words out of my mouth because we really are missing the mark on a lot of, on, the, on a lot of our messaging. And it's interesting because you see the black community and, and, and the, um, the, the politicians trying to prop up black Americans, but you do not see it with Latino Americans. I don't know why we don't see it, but we don't see it. It's a really interesting um, thing to consider and, and to point out is that the Latino community is kind of left behind and is a little bit forgotten about. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that we need to be so coddled or anything like that because we're all strong, independent, you know, people and, and faithful people and stuff like that. But it is interesting that it's such a gigantic uh, voting block for America and for especially for California. And it's kind of been just swept under the rug. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, yeah. thanks for those words. And I'm going to shoot it over to Jesse. Yeah, I just want to talk to you about, brother, we got to change the mindset over because as everybody knows, California is the laughing stock of America. Everybody mm -hmm. says they don't want to California, their states. So it was really sad that so many people voted for Newsom when he's just a terrible week. Like we told you so. Now they're seeing it now. The, the, the get it to the point that I wanted to make is that the, the, the gas prices. That's what I'm getting into. We just seen yesterday that all every single Democrat voted against lowering the gas tax, which is t totally ridiculous. So I don't, can't understand why people continue to vote for these Democrats. And then we see, look at we see them at the Super Bowl, no mask, and all this time they've been trying to lock us down. They're even still trying it over here, and all of that. It just ridiculous what these democrats are doing but yet these people continue to vote democrat and, and they're destroying america that
that mean they're destroying California. It's just all jacked up what they're doing. And I just want to get your thoughts on that vote yesterday where every single Democrat voted yeah. against the gas tax. Well, I have like three thoughts on that. Number one, that's politics for you. <clears throat> people voting strictly on party lines, not serving the will of the people. That's why we need more non-politicians in office because that, that doesn't... I mean, that, that is a perfect example of how our government is working against us. The second thing is you got to think about there's an agenda to eliminate uh, gas consuming vehicles. Newsom wants to be at the forefront of that. He wants to be the one that's able to say, I was the one that eliminated it. I was the one that forced everybody into electric vehicles, whatever. Um, you know, there's some valid points with regards to, you know, clean energy and and but point is, we should have the choice. We should have the choice as, as free citizens um, on what we do with our bodies and even the cars we drive. But the point is, the point I want to make is, think about it. If there's an agenda to remove the sale of gas-consuming vehicles, and it's like a 10-year agenda, what better way than to make it so impossible to actually drive a car? What right. better way than to drive up the prices of gas? And to make it so difficult that you can't afford to get to work, that you can't afford. So that's just another way that government is abusing their power to force you and coerce you into doing what they want you to do in an indirect way. A second, the third thing is, think about this. So they, they, they put down the vote, right? They put down the bill uh, that would give us a 51 cent relief on our gas. Because he announced that he was going to do a rebate or stimulus in the future. Well, analysts are reporting that that's going to take until August or September before they're actually able to get the budget approved for that and issue those checks. September, you're going to see a bunch of people in California get a stimulus check right before an election in November. And so the strategy there is let's not give it to them right now because then they're going to forget that we gave it to them. Wow. Let them suffer a little bit longer. One month before the election, let's drop in a stimulus check to all to, you know, especially it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to sound so appealing to especially the minority community that needs that. And they probably won't even use it for gas. Because of how expensive it is to live in California, it's likely a lot of those people would use that money just to eat or to pay rent. But the point is, is that those checks are likely going to hit right before election, which is timely and important because what happens? They're banking on amnesia. They're banking on you forgetting how you've lived the last two years of your life. They're banking. Why do you think the mask mandates are, lift, are being lifted now? right before the primaries why do you think that uh, you know the mandates they're loosening restrictions now two, two years but all of a sudden they're doing it two months before the primary and the stimulus checks will come right before the general it's all calculated it's all planned and it's all meant to be a distraction so that come november you're not going to vote the guy out that just gave you a stimulus check that makes it sound like he came and saved the day and that he's for the people of the people. And so that's politics. So we're going to do us and you guys have to continue to remind people of the two years that we're just coming out of. 
that there's nothing that he's going to do between now and November that's going to make up for all that we suffered. You can't give your kids those days back at school. You can't say goodbye to a grandparent in a hospital that you were prevented from seeing. I've talked to grandparents who weren't there for the birth of their grandchildren and and people who weren't there to say goodbye to their loved ones. You can't give that back. You can't give back people losing their jobs, firefighters, police, military, who have been terminated. So let's not forget. Let's, let's make sure that we don't let people forget what the last two years have been like. And there's nothing that he can do between now and November that will make up for all that we lost. The only path forward is to remove him from office so that he can never do this to us again. Because if he stays in office, we're going to have four more years of him abusing his power in ways that we can't even fathom right now. There will be new problems, new pandemics, new issues, new reasons why he has to continue to abuse his power. We've seen it. Think about this. If he's doing this kind of stuff in an election year, imagine what he'll do when you guys hand him over four more years. So this is our chance. This is our shot. we got to take him out of office. And that just goes to show how slimy and diabolical that the Democrats are to do that. Like, go ahead, let them suffer, suffer. And then right before the elections, like totally trying to buy that they always do. They always try to buy votes. They think that they think they were just so stupid. But but evidently it works because we keep putting them dingbats in there. So hopefully they'll wake up this time and don't fall for it this time. Like you said, we're going to have to keep reminding them. Don't forget um, the last two years. But it's just so that's how they did with the reparations. They were trying to say, oh, reparations, just trying to buy votes. That's what Democrats do. They're just so slimy. But uh, go ahead, A-Rod. Yeah, like you said, bro, they're, they're banking on the amnesia. You know what I mean? They're banking on that we're forgetting. And, and um, it's crazy because we're not the party of C. Sepadwe. You know what I mean? Like, to be honest, <laughs> you know, that, that's a, you know I'll, I'll be honest, that touches home to me because um, my uncle was a part of the march with Cesar Chavez and, the, you know, some of the first uh, core members that started it. And they brought him out to a town. That's where she said C. Sepadwe, Delano, where I was born. But you said something, and I was thinking about it. My, something I learned from my, my grandma, she was a part of the movement as well. And she was actually a school teacher for uh, migrant farm workers back in the 70s and 80s, you know. And she, she took a single mom, she put herself through college, and she always taught my mom and all of us. She said, the reason why we started a march and the reason why we did this because we wanted better for our people. We realized that Cesar Chavez and all of them were saying, hey, look it. We don't want to work out here. We actually want to, oh, we want you guys to go to college, have enough money to where you get on your feet, you go to college and you, you do the, you do the thing. Like you just said, where you're at right now, somebody wanted better. Right? So the Latino community is huge. Like Carmen was saying, there's in, in huge number out here. And I think they are looking for something. I, I was in a truck today with somebody and, he, and, and this is the first time he admitted he hates Trump. Dude hates Trump with a passion. I mean, you know, he was born in Mexico and he works here. And he, and he told me today, he said, I hate both of them. And I was like, oh, you hate both of them, Biden too? He was like, and the governor. And I was like, oh, the governor? Wow. You know, I was joking with him. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is a perfect time for somebody like Anthony to come show up and show out 
and for the GOP to back you, like Carmen was saying, it's a no-brainer. So for people that could be listening that are looking or maybe could share to their Latino brothers, sisters, cousins, primos, tias, tios, what would you say is an issue that you're hearing out there? Because you've been all over California. You're hearing all these issues from the Latino community. What is something that that you think would benefit the Latino community, whether it comes to jobs, whether it comes to, like you said, um, gas, anything, anything they could hear that'll give them some sort of hope because right now they've lost it. They're just at the point where they're like, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, everybody in California is dealing with a plethora of issues and it's not just based on ethnicity, but I think when you have the Latino population that makes up a big portion of the middle class, you know, the, everything, crime, homelessness, are, are the restrictions that are being put on businesses that make it harder for businesses to employ people, that shorten the amount of hours they give, you know, minimum wage workers. Um, our agriculture industry, which employs a huge number of Latinos is telling me they're suffering. The water issue is creating um, a, a major problem where you have fourth, fifth, sixth generation farms that will be closing down. If those farms close down, you're talking about hundreds, thousands of jobs that benefit the Latino community that will disappear. New regulations on, on pay and minimum wage and, and new regulations around how we conduct business are restricting employers' ability. There are Latinos who are willing on their own. They, they want to work seven days a week. Like, they're just hard workers, and they're like, give me the hours. Like, we want to work. And they're not being able to be given that type of schedule because of the restrictions and the regulations. And so their hours are being cut back. Benefits are being cut back. And so these restrictions put on businesses that, that may not seem that it trickles down to... to you know, the, the worker is creating an environment where employers are having to pick and choose who they employ, how long they keep them employed, the benefits they can give them, the hours that they can give them. Industries are shutting down. So, I mean, really addressing as a business owner, I know how that affects me, addressing the issues, especially in agriculture, that are going to put these farms out of business and displace thousands of Latinos is one way. Um, changing regulations on the amount of hours that people can work and on minimum wage will help the Latino community. And really in schools, at the end of the day, if you think about it, one of the biggest reasons why people are leaving our state, one of the biggest issues up and down the state, what's happening at schools. The Latino community, if we don't fix our school system, we're going to continue to put 18-year-olds out in the street that are not equipped to succeed that are not equipped to actually be productive members of society. And right. so I can't tell you how many teachers I've spoken to that say, I graduate kids every single year. They can't read, they can't write, and don't know simple math. We're sending the majority of our minority communities out with, without the tools that they need to succeed. So we need to revamp our schools, starting in the inner cities, create leadership academies, where we can actually start to produce the smartest, the best, you know, young adults in the nation where we're equipping our minorities with, you know, 
everything that they need to be successful, whether it's teaching them investing, entrepreneurialism, how to be inventors, how to be productive members of society. And I think that our school system is broken intentionally because, and again, the, 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 most of the kids that are in public schools are minorities. And so they're disproportionately affected by the broken school system. If we don't fix the school system and train up our right. youth, especially the Latinos, on, on how to succeed and what that looks like, then we're going to continue to create generations of individuals that don't aspire, that, don't, what, that are not equipped to succeed. And that is how the elite stay in power. And that's how they keep the Latino community dependent on the government. So it's really working on the business regulations that are taking jobs from our Latinos. And it's really revamping the school system to ensure that we equip our Hispanics, our young Latinos with the information they need, the education they need to go into the workforce and be successful adults. That's bingo, bro. Before I let Carmen go, you're, that, that was spot on, bro. That right there, because the Latino community, I'm going to tell you what, they have love for their children. They, there may be some kids may not have, you know, they didn't raise their kids right. They're raising their grandchildren. And they want the best for them. They have love for them. And if they can see programs help these kids out, you'll have every Welita voting from you from here to, you know, Sacramento. Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, that my grandma, my grandma right now is dealing with that. Having this, my, my tia dumped them off. Hey, there you go. And my grandma was having to raise somebody. So if she heard mm -hmm. something like that, giving a program we could help out, especially coming from a godly man, it would be like, where do I sign? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, the Latino community has offered. So I, I, those, both those were spot on, bro. So go ahead, sis. Hey, so I want to pivot for a second on um, mandates. So we've seen some of the mandates kind of dissipate over the last couple of weeks, I think. Um, today, Rand Paul had a bill that, um, that passed through the Senate on the lifting of the masks for airline travel. So that's some good progress. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think that you should tell people? What do you think the messaging should be? We've seen mandates come and go and come and go and come and go over the last couple of years. And of course, they're not laws, but people are still abiding by them and businesses are still having to abide by them or else. Um, people I've noticed the last couple of weeks now are sort of letting the, the foot off the gas. That's what I've noticed. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but what do you tell people? I mean, they're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, I think. And I feel like they're taking their foot off the gas. Do you think that that's a smart move on the, on the part of the people and also the politicians that are supposed to be fighting for the people? Because um, don't you think that this could just roll back around at any second? I mean, they're already talking about a new variant in China now where they're having it. So I, I just feel like I don't think it's smart to let our foot off the gas. I don't know what you're seeing and what your thoughts are on that because, you know, people are saying, oh, well, COVID's over, pandemic's over. So we're good. We're good. Right. I just don't, I just don't think so. What do you think about that? Do you think people should be letting their foot off the gas right now? Or do you think they should be putting the pedal to the metal? Pedal to the metal. Like I told you guys, it's an election year. None of this is happening by coincidence. <clears throat> the science didn't change, but the, but, but the polls did. And the Democrats are not polling well across the nation. 
So it's very timely that all of a sudden they're lifting mandates, they're backing off, they're lifting restrictions. They're going to look by November like the savior. They're going to look like, here's the thing, is that when, when someone is choking the wind out of you and you cannot breathe and they loosen up a little bit so you can breathe a little, you're going to feel a sense of relief and think that you're safe. But the truth is, is that their hands should have never been on your neck in the first place. And that's the problem. If we have amnesia and we forget the last two years, all we're doing is allowing them to keep their hands on our neck. So they come December, when some other condition changes, they go right back into mandates again. Unless the government takes a, a strong position against mandates as an approach, then we're just going to continue to be at the mercy of politicians who think that they know best. And by the way, we know this and doctors know this and they've admitted it and CDC, it's masks, even the mask mandates are not even scientific themselves. And so the science seems to be a moving target. And I don't think that they're backing off by coincidence. I think it's because of polls and I think it's because of the election. So that means that we need to continue to fight, continue to remind them that what they did was wrong. It was unconstitutional. It was uh, un-American. It did not do what they intended it to do. The science now shows that and that we are going to, you know, the reckoning needs to come through our votes and through the election process. So no, Bottom line is there are kids still right now mass at schools. Bottom line is there are still government workers right now forced to be masked at work. Right now, there are even private companies forcing their employees to be masked. And I was just on flights yesterday and we were still forced to be masked. Couldn't even get through TSA without, you know, uh, and I fought it and they, they were going to call security. I'm like, I'll put on the mask. Get me on the plane. Get me out of here. But at the end of the day, bottom line is if we don't ever want to go back to that way of life, we have to ensure that, that the reckoning is so severe, so strong, and we send a message that is so profound that we never find ourselves in that place again. And we're, not, we're nowhere near that. They're loosening the restrictions, but um, they still very much have their hands on our neck. I agree with you 100%. And this is why, going back to something we talked about before, this is why I'm so disappointed in the 45 candidates that claimed that they cared so much about California that they threw their name in the hat as far as the recall election went last year. But those candidates are nowhere to be found this year. There's only a few that are left, you being one of them, you being one that never stopped fighting for the people. Um, and this leads me to my follow-up question, which is what is different this year from last year and what kind of hope can you give people I mean so many people have left this race and there's very few people left on our side of the fence even Larry Elder I'll just call it out Larry Elder had so much support from the conservative party he had so much money thrown at him he had so much like just publicity press support he had it all and where is he now crickets gone I haven't seen a word from him I've seen him having a glass of wine somewhere where where are these people that claim to care so much about california they're gone they take their money and they go this is this is why we don't back very many candidates this is why we don't want to put our name behind very many candidates because 
where are they? Can you imagine if if we had endorsed Larry Elder and now he's just, who knows? I don't know where he is. It's, it's disturbing. He, he says he's doing something. He says he started a pack. We haven't seen anything. I haven't seen anything. I haven't heard anything. We've been asking questions. We don't know. But this leads me to just the follow-up question I just said. What is different this year? There's only a few people in the race now. But it's pro it may be an even bigger leap to get there because it's it's no longer a recall. It's not it's not the people against Newsom. It's 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 actually conservatives probably against Newsom or one conservative whoever gets in the primary. This is a different race now. So what is different this year from last year, and how can you encourage people to actually get out and vote? Because so many people are discouraged right now. Number one, just in general with politics. Number two, with what happened on the recall last year. Um, and also what happened in 2020 with um, the, the presidential election. What can you tell people to get them to get off their seats and go and actually vote this year and vote for you? Yeah, first of all, with regards to you guys getting behind candidates, what I like about Lexit is that you guys... You guys don't back people based on policy. You back them based on principle. And because you do that, you don't get left hanging by too many people. Because if you think about the, the election, the recall, people backed certain candidates be, not because they believed in who they were, but they believed in traditional math. They believed in numbers and they believed in ultimately you know name id recognition money whatever and they didn't vote based on their values they voted based on popularity and you guys have always been good at vetting candidates and getting to know who they are beyond the politics beyond and the, the conversations that we have had they're intimate conversations you guys know my family you know my background you know my heart um you know my faith and those are not things that that you know are those are those are core principles and and you guys do a good job at understanding the importance of the people that you're getting behind not just the policies and so that's awesome um what's different this year you said it there aren't 46 people running that's one of the things that's different there there are not a lot of distractions right now there the the field isn't as congested right now and so we're super excited that that we were able to show And by the way, you even mentioned a couple candidates that may be in from the recall, but nobody but myself kept going and kept going this strong. We didn't stop. When we started this, we kept going. We didn't rest. We continue to fight. And so what's different is that now people have some history. They can look at what I've done from the beginning till now. They can look at how hard we've been fighting, how hard we've been running, how consistent we've been with messaging, how consistent we've been with who we're targeting, how consistent we've been with our activity. Um, and so what I would say to everybody is the recall was an anomaly. The rules of the recall changed a few times. Newsom changed it, shortened the time. There were a lot of people that didn't even know we were in a recall. There were a lot of people that didn't know there was an election happening. And I think it was kind of chaotic. The good news is that we have the longer runway now. Everybody knows that we're in a general election this year. Everyone's going to be reporting it. Everyone understands what's at stake. 
And ultimately, we are now living in a California months after the recall did happen. And we get to see what our governor did when millions of people came out and said, we don't want you. You don't represent the will of the people. We want you out. What did he do immediately following? Did he, did he gut check himself and say, hey, I'm disconnected from my constituents. Nope. I need to get right. I need to get centered. I need to reach out to those people that feel disenfranchised with me. Did he go and try to build bridges? No, he actually lit bridges on fire. The policies and bills that he put forth, approved, and got behind mm -hmm. right after the, the recall were horrific. Lowering the age of consent on, on minors to get you know, sex changes and, 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 and certain operations on your insurance without your consent. That's not, those, that's not good policy, that's evil. He continues to do things that operate against the will of the people. If, if I was in office and I had four plus million people vote to throw me out of office, the very next day, I would have been reaching out to those four million people to say, I heard you. Right, right. There's a disconnect. I want to reach out. Let's do town halls. Let me go to your communities. Let's have a dialogue. Let's figure out how to get back on track. But he didn't. So what I'm hopeful for this year is that We've seen the man, we've seen his character, we've seen his lack of integrity, we've seen his abuse of power. And now it won't be a secret or a surprise, the election, everybody will know. The, the field is not as congested. We've continued to be consistent all the way through. I'm super confident about our position, the momentum we're building. And I think that when you compare and contrast me to Newsom after the primary up until the general, you're just going to see two individuals that could not be more different. And it'll allow California to see, hey, we have a unique opportunity in time to make history. We have a unique opportunity in time to vote for quality of life that is not so rooted in party lines and, and any of that, that it's, it's legitimately about our children. It's about our safety. It's about our choices. It's about our freedom. And I think that when given that platform and that runway, we're going to be able to now tell our message to a broader audience, welcome a lot of people that are disenfranchised with both parties into the fold and ultimately give California the best chance it's had at taking back its state. Brilliant, Anthony. Well, I hope that you can do that. I hope you can do just that. We're praying for you. Jesse. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on. Um, Thank you for coming on, brother. Uh, let everybody know how they could get uh, donate to you and help out your campaign. Yeah, so you can help out the campaign at anthonytremino.com. You can sign up to volunteer. We need volunteers up and down the state <clears throat> to share the message, to work tables, to door knock, to call. And then obviously it's a heavy lift. We need people to donate. Um, you know, we, we need to get the message out there and we need to... Make sure that everybody hears it. So go to anthonytremino.com, sign up to, uh, to volunteer, donate whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you can, and then ultimately stand with us in prayer. This is a fight between good and evil, light and darkness, and um, we're trying to unseat arguably the most powerful political dynasty of our time. We need everybody's help. So get behind what we're doing and be excited. Don't be discouraged. We, uh, we can do this, and I'm confident that we will do it. 
Amen, brother. And we'll join you next week. We'll be back with a candidate coming from uh, Nevada. So make sure you catch us next week and check out our website at wearelexit.com. And if you want to uh, interested in uh, being an ambassador or uh, even starting your own chapter, just go to wearelexit.com and uh, you could uh, join our Lexit crew and you can also buy some Lexit here. Well, thanks for, for watching and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. And if you wait, we're going to go on IG Live right now. So if you want to go watch us on um, IG Live. I'm going to make stickers that say, I undid that. Hey, that's <laughs> genius. That's nice. Yeah. All right. Guys. Thank you, Anthony. All right. All right. Thank you, Bye. Brother. Thank you, guys.